My conversation today is with Ari Ferris, a goldsmith of several years and an initiate of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn in North Carolina. Ari's spiritual background is extremely diverse, being influenced by various forms of paganism, folk herbalism, Buddhism, and elements of the Western esoteric tradition. Her craft seems to be an extension of all these, and her methods of tuning into the bounteous natural environment around her, as well as the psychosphere of ideas and images of the same, are a kind of lifestyle magic in and of themselves. I sat down with Ari at my home in rural North Carolina to talk about her craft, spirituality, recent motherhood, and the alchemical analogy of real spiritual initiation. I'm Ike Baker, and this is the Arcanum Podcast. not 100% certain. What do you call what you do? Mm, uh, metalsmithing. Uh, in technicality, it's called goldsmithing. Goldsmithing. To do what I'm doing. Uh, silversmithing. Even though I work with silver, it's called goldsmithing. That's making jewelry and stuff. Silversmithing is making like cups and vessels and stuff. So okay. I, don't, I don't really do that. Okay. Which we should probably go over that on here. We are. Okay. Are we talking right now? Okay. This is how it gets done. Oh, okay. Just because it's like you can't. You, it's got to be yeah, yeah. comfortable, you know. <laughs> yeah. And go. <laughs> That's so incredible. Yeah. So so you're specifically goldsmithing. You don't do any of the silversmithing. Uh, yeah. Just you know, working on that scale of like making cups and and this and that. Like you have to have a huge amount of heat to heat up that amount of metal to right. make like a a huge piece, right? Uh-huh. So, um, I use acetylene, and so I have, like, a tank in my backyard. Don't tell my insurance company <laughs> that. So, someone that I went to school with called it creating stories in metal, and I really liked that, Yeah. you know? Is that what you went to school for? Yeah. Really? I, I went to university for political science and African studies, and realized pretty quickly that wasn't going to take me anywhere, and I didn't enjoy, right. like... Being angry all the time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so I quit and I was just like selling furniture and like doing retail and like just random whatever. So I found a community college that was like 20 minutes from my house. Had no idea they had a uh, craft program. So I did the, the metal smithing program, jewelry and metals. And um, I applied. They only accept like eight people a year. And... I was the eighth person they wow. accepted. And that's uh, awesome. The day that I got the acceptance letter was Imbolc, which is mm-hmm. for the goddess Bridget, who is the goddess of metalsmithing, mm-hmm. which I found out later. That's amazing. Like, and randomly, I had like done this thing for Imbolc that year, that, which I had never done before, where um, you put a piece of cloth outside. And overnight, when the dew collects on it, you go back out in the morning, you collect it, and that is like a healing cloth for the rest of the year. Um, and that's like a thing connected to Bridget, because she's a healing, poetry, metalsmithing. Something that a lot of my jewelry that I was doing for a while was connecting poetry back to the jewelry. So it's kind of weird how that like came together. It's perfect. Yeah. It's great, yeah. Right, yeah. Didn't plan that, just yeah. like... Well, you're working in that current 
Is that traditionally where you come from, pagan background? Kind of like, is it Norse pagan or Celtic pagan? Mm. I was raised Southern Baptist and was very devout as a child, extremely devout, and kind of fell out of that because of some difficulties with the church Mm. that we went to. Uh, However, as I got older, I really missed feeling that devout, feeling like that complete just belief, you Mm -hmm. know? And so I kind of, I love nature. I got really into the like nature based, I get, yeah, paganism, I guess, but it wasn't like Norse. I, I did like kind of dabble with the Celtic stuff. Kind of like neo-paganism. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's really what's available right now. Yeah. We don't know really what what paganism right. looked like right yeah we, we have no idea <laughs> the people who do like reconstructionist stuff amazing great yeah. but however it's that's the, that's the thing you know i think that that is rather than every than everyone trying to constantly say well this is the old religion and this is the old crap and th- these these hermetic lineages go back right. all the way to the time <laughs> of uh you know right. uh zosimus of panoplies or something like it's just this works for us right now Right. This it doesn't matter. It has because there's an underlying current, right? And when that when that bubbles to the surface, it expresses itself through things like this. And so we don't have to. It sweeps you up. That's all it is. It sweeps you up. You don't have to look for legitimacy. Right. If it works for you, it's legitimate. Right. And that was very much where I was, where I just followed my heart, Mm kind of like a a path of mysticism. Just followed what felt right, and uh, I. Found a lot of validity in that. I uh, I kind of like to joke, like, I'm the type of person who, instead of being paranoid, I feel more pronoid. I always feel like everything happens the way that it's supposed to. Yeah. Well, that's kind of how that path went for me. So that's that's interesting to think about because, okay, so I didn't know that you, that you went to school for this stuff. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that, you, that that was the thing. I yeah. figured that you went to school and then got into this stuff afterwards. So, right. so how far back did the goldsmithing and the Celtic kind of paganism or just paganism in general, I'm assuming that there was some kind of magic involved or at least a belief in magic at that time. Right. Or yes. Yeah. So when did they, when did those two things meet come together? Yeah. Uh, I have been interested in the esoteric from a young age. Like most people start around, you know, 14, 15, like, First book I got was Manly P. Hall, See Your Teachings. And, um, that was my first book, too. Yeah, I feel like that's a really common one, you know? It's right I was, there. I, was I mean, obsessed. it's torn up. <laughs> exactly, yeah. It's one that you, you could still go back to, you know? And um, I was obsessed with Freemasonry for a long time. Because of the mystery. Well, because if you're reading Manly, if you're meet, reading Manly Palmer Hall, because yes. he, he's just referring <laughs> yes. to masonry. Over and over, yeah. And, um... Yeah, I was obsessed with that and was kind of at this point where I was like, man, I don't know where to go from here because I'm I can't I'm not accepted into Freemasonry because I'm uh, I'm a woman, right? And so started reading like Steiner, a lot of, you know, theosophy, anthroposophy and all that sort of thing. And when I went to school for political science, really I was just smoking a lot of weed and like spirituality was more like psychedelic based. Yeah. It was wonderful because it really broke open who I was. Like, I was very conservative in the traditional, like, Republican sense as I was growing up. And that was really based on just that's how my family was. I wanted to be accepted by my family. Mm -hmm. And 
and really uh, were very clannish, kind of that Celtic thing, you know, very, mm-hmm. very clannish. Like Appalachia is very similar to Scotland, Ireland in a lot of ways. And yeah, so yeah. kind of came from that. And then did a bunch of psychedelics. It really broke open this like rigidity that I had. So met my husband who actually was like an atheist Buddhist. And um, he introduced me to uh, a Lama and we did some teachings from the Lama and that was further breaking me open Mm -hmm. into these things. A lot of the things it seems that you were interested in did... They were influenced by you growing up in Appalachia. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. For a long time, I, I, I'm not good at labels at all, but for a long time I was like, oh, this thing, uh, maybe it's like a- Appalachian witchcraft, right? But I don't feel comfortable with saying I'm a witch. And this whole Appalachian witchcraft movement that's been going on recently they say it comes from like wise women and our grandmothers who used herbs and and all of these things. They would never use the word witch. Right. They it's herbalism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bat- Baptists who did herbalism. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, my you know my grandmother when they built their house, they had to dig a well. She used dowsing to find uh, where they're going to dig their well. And when the guy came out and dug the well, he was like, "Wow, y'all have like a underground river right here." Like, and she found that with dowsing. So, and she was a Baptist. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they would never go by it. Well, that's, that's the craziest thing, you know, because it it is, there's this obsession with labeling stuff nowadays when, when in reality, if, if you just kind of use what is available to you and, and forget the labeling, I mean, you just have a bigger color, color palette. Right. Right. Because if you call yourself one thing, it's like, well, then these things, whatever you do has an opposite. Right. You know? <laughs> right, yeah. So uh, even even to this day, uh, labels, I, I struggle with that. I, I find validity in, in all paths, mm-hmm. and I think that is what connects all humans mm-hmm. uh, to a certain degree. And yeah, so very winding path. Like I did Reiki and, and herbalism and, you know, the stuff with the llama and... and kind of came to this point where I was making jewelry and I got really big into casting and I was casting a lot of nature items. So instead of carving out something, I would go out and would collect these items while I was hiking, bring them back to my shop. Well, uh, just for people who are listening that don't understand what casting is, can you briefly describe what that process is and how, how it's different? Yeah, so casting is you have a model, and for me, that would often be, let's use a twig, for example. So take a twig, and you do what's called sprueing it up. So you take a twig, and you attach this um, piece of wax that's basically like a thick wire to the end of it, and you affix it to a base, and you put uh, a metal ring around the base, mix up basically plaster and pour it around this item Mm. so you have the plaster covering the item and then you put that in a kiln at 17 1800 degrees wow i think maybe higher sometimes i have it programmed so i don't have to remember these Mm -hmm. numbers anymore and then you fired in a kiln the kiln 
burns out the wax and the natural material. And so all you have left is this hardened plaster within which is, it's basically a mold uh-huh, of this right. piece of nature that no longer exists. You flip it over and where that wax wire was, it's created a little opening um, that you then pour molten, uh, molten metal into and then quench it and you have an exact replica of a piece of nature. When you heat up the metal, you use a charcoal stick. As you heat it up, all of the impurities in the metal come to the surface and it's then they can all be scooped out. So you have this pure material that you're working with. That's awesome. That's what is cast into the waiting form. And so you do you you got into that first mm-hmm. because of your affinity with nature. Obviously, you know. I, again, also, I don't know who's going to be listening to this, but the place where you grew up in Appalachia, here the Appalachian Mountains, it is it does have its own kind of tradition and um, connection with the local nature. Since moving here from New York, I mean, most people in New York, they couldn't tell you what kind of bur avian life, they right, couldn't yeah, tell you yeah. what kind of stuff grew yeah. in the ground there, you know, obviously right. downstate. Coming here and seeing all these people who, I mean, everybody I know goes wild foraging. They teach yes. me about, they'll just point and like, well, those are rose hips, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, this is this kind of owl. And it's, yeah. I didn't even ask. But yeah. the, everybody just knows. So Oh, we'll tell you. <laughs> yeah, and it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. I've learned so much. And yeah. I'm starting to incorporate a lot of that mm-hmm. into into my, my living here. But it's it's just not every other place is as in tune with the nature as this place, as, as Appalachia. So that's really interesting that you it really did filter your creative pursuit. Mm-hmm. Extreme sense of place here. Um The Appalachian Mountains are older than fossils. There aren't fossils here. It's literally older than fossils. Um, And when I say that our culture is very similar to Scotland, Ireland, the mountains in the highlands of Scotland Mm -hmm. is the exact mountain range of the Appalachians. It formed as one long ridge. It actually goes under. Really? Uh, under the ocean there. Yeah. And when, when it amazing. was all one giant landmass, that was one range. Yeah. It's that old. That's interesting. And I know, uh, forgive my ignorance. Mm-hmm. How far up, do you know how far up the Appalachian? I know they're in New York. I know they're in New York, but I don't know if they mm. go, if they go f- further up because I do know that a huge contingency of Irish and particularly Scottish Mm-hmm. When they came to quote unquote the New World, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a place in Canada called Nova Scotia. Mm-hmm. When they settled there, apparently it reminded them. Yes. Who and at that time it reminded them of home so much. But yes. who knows if at that time they even knew that these are the same the mountains. Same. Well, <laughs> what's interesting is there's so many of the same plant life, and that's probably one of the few reasons that those people were hardy enough to make it in the new world here right? because they recognized the same plant life, the same uh, climate, same environment. You know, they were comfortable here in a way that the English were not. My, my uncle likes to joke, you know, we're in North Carolina and people say, oh, that's the South. For sure, it is the South. However, like when you're in 
the Appalachian Mountains of North Carolina. We have much more in common with someone from the mountains of Pennsylvania mm. than someone from the low country in Georgia. True. You know, so yeah, we're in the South. However, there's a very specific culture of uh, hardiness mm. in the mountains. Part of that is the ability to wild forage and be in touch with the, the nature that's around you. Because I know that you're yeah. you're really good at, at that kind of stuff. Yeah, it just kind of comes <laughs> naturally. I, yeah. I, you know, you're just kind of raised in it. Now, you, you and your husband, you, you wild forage and you, mm-hmm. you guys do long nature hikes and you're very mm-hmm. interested and you pay attention, right? It's not just mm-hmm. exercise for you guys. Right. It's kind of yeah. like nature bathing and, and visiting. Yes visiting kind of friends yes (laughs) you know so it it drives people crazy to go hiking with me because i am not there to get to somewhere i'm just wandering around that's amazing (laughs) wandering in the wilderness so since you do that on a regular basis Mm -hmm. and um i know you've slowed down because you had a child Mm -hmm. recently but but when you were doing goldsmithing 80 hours a week Mm -hmm. whatever it was were those two daily practices informing one another absolutely really Absolutely. Um, yeah, my day would start, I'd get up, I'd go for a hike as soon as I could in the morning and then come home and work with what I found, whether it be actual materia or ideas, uh, because there is something about just being in the quiet that really facilitates the creative process. Mm -hmm. Seeing, uh, different trees, plants, flowers, um, animals, all of that, it very much informs what's going on in your mind. And then when you're creating, you're just taking these forms that you've collected and whether that be in your mind or physically. Um, yeah, that's important, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, you're picking up things with your eyes and with your hands. Like, right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Everything is a symbol type, yeah. type of thing. Yes. That's very interesting. Yeah. Did you have any magical practices, spiritual practices that were going on at some point in, in that kind of stew? Like I said, it was very much heart-based, so it wasn't like um, picking up a practice from a grimoire or anything right. like that, right? You know, it was very much just like what felt right. Just go and sit on a rock with a waterfall and just be in it, mm. just be there. And, um, yeah, I, I have heard people say, you know, high magic versus low magic, right? And, uh, high magic being temple magic, low magic being field magic. It was very much field magic. Mm -hmm. You're out there in the field, you're collecting, you're using what you have, what you find. Um, I would often collect reishi. That's a big one for me. Um, there's, you know, bloodroot and trillium and all of these very uh, specific items that I would then go home and work in my shop and just that's what was filling my brain. And so that's what came out. And so it was very much like harvesting ideas. Mm-hmm. That's a great way to put it. I was very much just caught in this river mm-hmm. of ideas and going with it. And it felt amazing if i mean you're you're submerged in in that Hmm. you know and you're i guess you're an idea kind of person right yeah i've heard people say before that ideas they exist outside of us 
right? And I very much ascribe to that. I would say I'm an idea catcher. They are whizzing around outside and and they're looking for someone who's open right. to receiving them. And if you don't catch them, someone else will. Right. I, I've experienced that. I think that's the case for, for a lot of people who are artistic. Mm-hmm. I noticed that a lot of people tend to reverence creative types. And I don't... I think, first of all, that's really bad in terms of, you know, it's not good for the mental health of the people creating stuff (laughs) um, to be constantly lauded and applauded like they're somebody special. Um, Because the truth of the matter is, in my own estimation, like you say, these ideas are available. Mm -hmm. And I think artists, people, creative people are just people who don't doubt the reality of the idea. They're not people who tell themselves, that's silly, or, you know... That's not for you. It's just like, I'm grabbing this and I'm going with it. And these yes. things are available to everyone. Absolutely. Yes. You have to be in that receiving state. And what I find interesting, and maybe this is crazy, I don't know. I think I was so deeply entrenched in a receiving state. That's how I got pregnant. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, my husband, we were married uh, for quite uh, quite a long time. And... Uh, it was only recently that we had a child. So Mm. that's very much a receiving kind of thing and very much a creative process. And yeah, it all feels very entwined. Yeah. So since your practice has slowed down, do you still consume, do you still source inspiration? uh, And are you still paying attention to these ideas or, uh, and if so, you know, how is it now that you that you kind of gather gather the ideas as you're talking about? What do you do now? Mm. Yeah, it is very much different now um, because of the danger involved in jewelry and metalsmithing. Uh, I my son does not come in the shop with me, and and I haven't been able to uh, be out there much and. But, I, but I'm a creative person. I, I couldn't just stop. So now I just I just decorated my house all day. I <laughs> just moved things around. I had to be creative in some way. Absolutely had to. And yeah. so, um, yeah, there's something about just moving materials around uh, that translates to from jewelry to interior design to anything like that. You know, it, it all translates. Yeah. Um, from texture to uh, form and and uh, overall composition, all of those things, like, and it's the same for for anything. And for... it's in, it's interesting that 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 the two relate to one another in your case, because meaning like this kind of interior design or redesign, mm-hmm. um, because what you're doing creatively is you're taking pieces of a place, mm-hmm. whereas other people can could be you know crafting an image of. A person or or some kind of completely fictional mm-hmm. idea you are sourcing stuff and trying to take a piece of a place with you yes. or give that to somebody else and that's yes. that to me is is very relevant to what you're talking about is rearranging your place yes yeah. hands-on uh, like I really I don't plan jewelry I don't uh, have a plan going into almost any piece that I make I 
put my hands on the material, mm -hmm. work from there. Put my hands on the tools, work from there. Rearrange. Um, yeah, I it, it very much translates and drives my husband crazy that I keep moving everything around. <laughs> uh, I'll bet. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I do what I can. There is something incessant about creation there is absolutely something incessant when you are in uh that receiving state you can't just stop mm -hmm. you cannot it, you will go crazy you have to be doing something and that's where i'm at right now where i'm doing what i can i'm moving stuff around it, it, uh, it's i'm getting a very like air of earth interpretation of yeah what's going on inside your psyche especially yeah. with all the movement yeah you know the air but also being in touch with the creative process i think i forget i i'm gonna butcher this but i'll paraphrase that marcus aurelius quote mother nature loves nothing so much as to take old things break them down and make new things with them absolutely and that is casting that is the casting process you're taking uh you know silver can be cast indefinitely uh, now you do have to add fresh silver when you're casting because it, it loses integrity each time it's cast. So even if I'm recycling silver, I have to add fresh silver in. Um, but it is taking these forms from God, from nature, and putting them into this mold. That's why I love to work with nature because nature is God's ultimate form. It, it's perfect. Why would I not start there? You were talking earlier a little bit about uh, impurities rising to the surface mm -hmm. during the casting process, and yes. you asked me to scoop them out. Yes. Is there any overlap for you with alchemical work? Uh, have you have you you know dived into any of that stuff? Is there any overlap for you? There's very much a metaphor there, very much a metaphor there, and and what I found interesting is. Um, I'll go into that a little bit, but what I found interesting is that as I was working in that way, scooping out the impurities and purifying, very much affected who I was. When I started making jewelry, I had all sorts of, of character flaws, really. Still do, however. Well, yeah, you're in a human body, so... Yeah, right, <laughs> right. Uh, but it very much was influencing... Um, decisions that I was making uh, I knew that I could be better and by working on this material in my hands there was very much correspondence between the jewelry and myself the material and myself a lot of people have mentioned to me this kind of curiosity how <clears throat> practical al alchemy relates to the Western esoteric tradition, ritual initiation, magic, all that spiritual alchemy. Right. What would be the point, right? Because we know that there's a spiritual alchemical tradition, but there's definitely a practical alchemical. Physical. Yeah. Yes. So w one thing is, is that a lot of people don't seem to be aware of is that in modern practical kind of like spagyric alchemy, you're creating a process as a relative microcosm Mm -hmm. To your macrocosm. Yes. And then you're, right, it's the same thing with the Eucharist. Yes. I'm doing this thing here. It's an alchemical process, and I'm going to consume it. But but the, the process of it also 
is symbolic of what I want to have happen to me. Yes. That's the idea behind modern practical alchemy. Like, God help us if we were just trying to make gold. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's that's yeah. that's very. Um, it's it, like casting. It. It's textbook solve et coagula. Mm-hmm. Textbook. The solids dissolve into a liquid, form back into a solid, and in that process, it's purified and cast into a new form, into a perfect new form right because it's a piece of nature it's perfect right right even in its imperfectness it's perfect and i can't create a form as well as god as well as nature right so that's what i work with you know yeah so so you see some kind of analogy there for for the purification of, yes. of, you, of the personality obviously you underwent that yes at a certain point after that work you were led to on a somewhat of a different spiritual trajectory path yes yeah so you yeah. you were doing all this kind of alchemical metallurgy right being in nature and and purifying you know mm-hmm. you know purifying the dross out of these and metals consecrating fire right exactly right. water fire all of it yeah right and you went through that and it at the end of that right at the tail end of of this mm-hmm. process you're talking about being submerged in creativity then comes the pregnancy right. and at the same time mm-hmm. then comes the, the golden, golden dawn, dawn. yes <laughs> yeah yeah, and it was exactly the time that I was not able to work as much anymore that I was initiated into the Golden Dawn. Um, it exactly, exactly came together time-wise. The week that I was initiated as a neophyte was the week I found out that I was pregnant. Um, the, the very week. And um, uh, I never saw myself as a a ceremonial person a temple magic kind of person like Mm -hmm. no no Mm -hmm. no that is not where i saw myself (laughs) at all that's too rigid too intellectual too you know all those things i i was the hippy dippy flowing in the river type Mm -hmm. right and um still am i i find that there is this preconception that in temple magic there's no room for that false that is completely false and uh it is working within a structure that that flowing river can create form yeah and typically what i find is that the grimoire magicians are too afraid to work with their feelings Mm -hmm. to do the field magic to do the, the 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 be here now go with the flow type of thing right and the field magicians are well it they're partially so they're enjoying mm-hmm. this because oh, it's, it's a enjoyable. very pleasurable feeling oh, yes yes it <laughs> i is. believe me i know but also i i find some resistance to this idea that you of really knowing what's going on really understanding the processes mm-hmm. so but what i think is like applying it, an ap- academic approach right exactly yes. and i think there's there might be some kind of insecurity in that too feeling like well i'm mm-hmm. not i'm not constitutionally good at that kind of work so yeah. it's it's bunkum it's it's look at look at how good i'm doing without it yes but in reality i mean it, it, that's alchemy the marriage of right. of the two the union of the opposites absolutely and and it's funny you say that because in that flowing state, flow state, in that flowing state, 
Um, I thought, oh, it can't get any better than this. Uh, obviously, I'll just keep getting better at what it is that I'm doing, right? Uh, however, in being thrown into this rigid structure, uh, it's gotten so much better. It creates a, you, what is it, what is it? You can't build sand castles in the air or you can't, you can't build castles in the air and then create a foundation underneath them. Right. Right. You have to have the foundation underneath you and build on top of that. And that's where I was. I was building these castles in the air and they needed the structure. They needed the rigidity of something to hold them up. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> they I'm... needed the earth beneath the air. Right. right. That's its natural place. Yes. That's an analogy that I'm constantly finding. I would say I was fortunate enough to go through a, a, a career as in music mm-hmm. before that to understand that where it's like you pick up a pair of drumsticks or you pick up a guitar. You don't want to be sitting down and learning the scales and, right. and learning yes. the modes mm-hmm. and learning how to read and write music. It's boring. You want to play. You want to jam out. Right. You want to do what the pros are doing without right. having done what they did to get there. Have you ever listened to someone play jazz who has no sense of scales or anything like that? It's the worst jazz you yeah, could possibly. Yeah. It's true jazz. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's the thing. I mean, you after that you people who haven't gone through that process do not understand the freedom that is a product of it. You learn the rules before you break them. Right. And they, and they, but they, the reason why you're able to break them is because they become a part of you. Yes. And now I'm just, I'm improvising in the same way that I improvise with my personality mm-hmm. because all of these powers, all of these things, they've become a part of my personality. Right. It's not just something I do once a day for a half an hour. It's mm-hmm. my entire existence mm-hmm. is just, you know, moving this stuff into the ether out of me and absorbing it through me. Right. And that's the benefit of, of the marriage of both. That's why I spend, you know, so much time in the garden and stuff like that, because I know I need that. Absolutely. Absolutely. My husband, who was an atheist when we met and we got married and I had some thoughts a few times. I was like, man, you're married to an atheist. What are you doing? Right? Because he was very much like, I was not on that plane. I've never, ever considered myself an atheist. There is something there. Mm. And I've, I experienced it as a child in the church in such a way filled with the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. that I, I could never turn my back on that. Mm. You know, I, and, and then to psychedelics and then to all, like, there is something there. Mm. There's no way I could deny that. And then my, I don't know, my husband just had a a moment where, uh, he realized there is something there and he's the one who found the Golden Dawn, uh, chapter that we applied to. And, um, when he found it and he applied, he like just kind of casually mentioned, he was like, yeah, I applied to the Golden Dawn. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's my thing. That is my, what are you doing? Uh, and, but I, I'm so glad that he did, um, because it has been transformative in a lot of ways mm-hmm. and, you know, everything that I was making jewelry wise was very symbolic and what is the golden dawn, but names and images, 
right? Yeah. Symbols, symbolism. And, um, yeah, I have not been able to create jewelry since that. And all I can think about is like, wow, names and images is like exactly what the jewelry process was for me. The poetry, the, the physical images, the, yeah. all of these things, you know? Yeah. So you haven't done any real work steadily since then, mm -hmm. but you did have one commission, right? I did. You have a mutual friend who uh, is becoming a bishop in the Gnostic Church, yes. the ACGRC, of which, mm -hmm. you know... Which I'm also We're associated of. with. I'm <laughs> yeah. a, a deacon. Yeah. Uh, talk to me about that experience i know that you had some interesting things going on with with working with that particular mm -hmm. stone i don't i don't know too much about it yeah so he was going to be is it ordained consecrated consecrated yeah. as a bishop and it's traditional to have a bishop's ring and um i happen to ha have some skills in creating rings <laughs> Uh, and, and so he mentioned wanting a ring that was a modern day interpretation of the ring that Carl Jung uh, wore, which was um, a what's called an intaglio, and it's a carved image onto the front of a stone. And that specific image that Carl Jung had was an Agatha diamond. Mm -hmm. Is that how you pronounce yeah, that? Yeah, Agatha diamond, yeah. Yeah. And, um, the good demon, the, the, the guide of good counsel. Yes. And um, so he was like, yeah, you can do that, right? And I was like, uh, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Why not? And I have never carved a stone before that, but I was very intrigued. I was like, you know what? I know the process. Just haven't done it. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go for it. And uh, so we used an agate, a red agate beautiful carnelian um and carved a lion-headed serpent right in the front <laughs> of that thing and had it set into a, a silver ring and um it doing research into those intaglios were very very popular uh like second and third bce and beyond in uh Greece and Rome and, and all of those areas and um, so now after doing all that research I'm just fascinated with it and I can't wait to start carving more mm. more stuff do more modern interpretations um, because they often had very specific symbolism um, yeah and there is something about jewelry that I love it is adorning the altar of your body right that's wonderful it's it's yeah you can't put it any better than that yeah yeah, yeah. expressing so, ex expressing yourself too you know yeah i just love the way when they're when you cast the silver into this form of nature they're immortalized the form is immortalized you know a, a twig will die and rot away um silver will last forever mm -hmm. and so it's really uh, elevating this um, earthly form transmuted into a, a material that will last. I had this quote by Maud Gaughan, uh, those through who the spirit has once spoken are immortal, and the spirit spoke through the twig. 
then you cast it into silver it's immortal um yeah that's beautiful yeah and uh i, I was thinking about uh your previous video uh where you talk about Atsaluth as archetypes mm-hmm. archetypes are molds mm-hmm. you cast with molds you create form with molds you um create images through archetypes through molds and so that's very much as above so below kind of work mm-hmm. in in all aspects yeah you know yeah. You, it's, it's kind of like immortalizing a, a perfect form mm-hmm. right because it's mm-hmm. it's it's nature and i think i think that that you know that was a, a huge impetus for for the the art of like sculpture and stuff like that obviously the human body is nature too mm-hmm. right and and um, at that time period, right, a, a lot of the thought process was this is the perfect form because mm-hmm. this is the, you know, the the apex of creation. Right. Yeah, but I, you know, created in God's image. Right. Exactly. Yes. And that was that was the idea at the time. So that's really interesting to me. You're kind of like immortalizing or memorializing, you know, these natural forms. Mm-hmm. And, and part of me wonders how much, right, you have this kind of, like, creative stream that you've tapped into and, and constantly being in nature in this connection there. And it's like wanting to recreate nature yourself. Right. The ultimate act of which is having a child, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's true. And to go back to Golden Dawn uh, symbolism, you know, as a neophyte, you're purified and consecrated through water and fire four times right and um when you're working with silver um you know people often think of using hammers right and and you're hammering the silver and you're moving the silver um when you're like stretching it or creating the form that you want to create um so there's casting which just creates that form you already have and then there's also i would pair it with um pieces that I had hammered into place and that sort of thing and in mm-hmm. in the creation of it and um metal is actually much like pottery like wet clay that it moves you know but as it moves it becomes more rigid as you create this form it becomes rigid more rigid more rigid and it will get to a cracking point and if you want to keep working with it you have to torch it and relax all those uh, molecules. So you have to torch it and then you quench it. And so you have the fire and the water and it's being consecrated and purified before it's ready to go again. Mm-hmm. You know, and Definitely so you, an analogy there. <laughs> right, and you, you may do that process several times before you get to that point. And um, you can create beautiful, simple forms with just one. It's called annealing when it's torched annealing annealing yes it's annealed in the fire it softens it back to a form that can be shaped more um a great work of art will be subject to many blows of the hammer over and over again it gets rigid gets more rigid and then you go through the annealing process again and it's ready to be shaped even further you can push silver very far Mm. as long as you catch it before the cracking point and um as opposed to other metals 
They don't. They don't really have that same kind of malleability. Mm, s- some don't. Yeah. Uh, well, I know everybody wants to work with gold most of the right. time, right? Oh, gold is a fantastic metal to work with. It's the most malleable, right? Cost prohibitive, but yes. <laughs> uh, gold is like working with butter. I mean, it is a gorgeous metal, and the luster, and and there's a reason that it is known as the the pinnacle. Mm-hmm. of metals right um so in that metaphor there someone can may work on themselves and work on themselves but you hit this point where you're too rigid mm-hmm. you have to be purified you have to be consecrated before you can go further you have to catch yourself before the cracking point right and i, I think what's really interesting is that <clears throat> you crack your, you catch yourself maybe i don't know if you catch yourself I think when you plug into certain currents and and you begin to engage with those things seriously, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you do get to that point of rigidity. And a lot of, I see a lot of people stop and right. stay in that form because they right. can sense that a breaking point, I, I can't go any further. Right. So I'm going to rigidify. And a lot of people get stuck there. And that is when sacrifice comes in the fire the annealing you know yeah um that that's when that comes in and and you have to sacrifice yourself over and over and over again in the great work and and in a great work of jewelry Mm -hmm. you catch that that point just before and you have to recognize the material you have to work with the material get to know the material get Mm. to know yourself yes right you have to know it inside and out for both making jewelry and for working on yourself you have to know um the signs yeah and these are things that the path of a of a a craftsman or or, or a craftsperson these these are realities and that becomes they have such depth these analogies you know uh and you really only begin to understand them if you go through if you go through them if you mm-hmm. pursue a path of of crafting and stuff right. like that you know i really believe that the funny thing about it though is um that's not what you're thinking about when you're creating right. Yeah. We can sit back and talk about it all day right. long after the fact and uh, after the fact and, and recognize these recognize these patterns. Um, but when you're in it, it's just you and the metal and the tools mm-hmm. and the fire and the water. And it's just you and these pieces of earth. Yeah. You're not heating up metal and going and now I cast this perfect form right. of God. Like, right. none of that's yeah. happening. You're I, in the moment. I think that's what a lot of people will disagree with me. And uh, that's fine. But personally, I, I was explaining to somebody recently. I had somebody who asked, you know, okay, we, I get the Kabbalah. I get astrology. Where does alchemy come into play? It's less tangible. There's no one school of of thought in terms of alchemy and mm-hmm. the writing is very obscure it's mm-hmm. the most obscure mm-hmm. right the kabbalah um is kind of obscure but it you know what it's talking about mm-hmm. for the most part 
Whereas an, alchemy is an analogy within an analogy. But it seems to me that it was kind of reverse engineered. Yes. Now, a lot of people who, who have been focused on this, this practical side just for, I don't know, power over the elements or something like that. Mm-hmm. I think they've had the wrong end of the stick for a very long time. You know, uh, I, I, the thing is that alchemy itself is symbolic of a process that pre-existed it. Yes. Right. So it's you can you can find analogies for the relationship between humans or nature, the natural world and the divine world in almost everything we do. Right. Right. And the thing is, you don't you will never have power over the elements. You come to know the elements. Mm -hmm. You come to know the breaking point of silver. You work with it. You recognize it. You may think, oh, I can do one more hammer blow. I can push it. I can push it. I have power over this. False. It will crack. Your piece will be ruined. You must recognize. That's so interesting. I've n- because it's, I've never been able to put the two together. I read a quote. I think this was in something Manly Palmer Hall wrote. Mm-hmm. I don't know who, who the source is, but it has stuck with me all these years. Um, the initiate, and again, I'll paraphrase, the initiate can only command nature in so far as they will obey her. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I am a slave to the silver. Uh, <laughs> the silver is the one in control here. Right. Truly. Truly. I uh, can exert force as much as I can, but she will break in your face and laugh. That your form is gone yeah and that's life yeah that's life and yeah. but i think i think one of the advantages of of really actively engaging with a current is that it will help you through that process mm-hmm. certain currents of of magical energy and you know that people listening can do their own research into this because that's a podcast episode in and of itself mm-hmm. currents and egregores and things yes. like that um but which you should do you definitely should do yeah um it will they can either help or they can hinder you know it depending on what the current is is habitually doing you know if it's a current of of dissolution um you're then everything's just going to dissolve mm-hmm. but if it's a little bit more balanced then it will help you you know recongeal um i think that that can be in my own experience that's been a, a tremendous was a tremendous boon for me in, in something like the outer order where it was like I did not possess the wherewithal to be able to, like you say, um, reintroduce heat to the whole process. So something else kind of... Oh, you don't want to walk into the fire. <laughs> Heaven's no. not. You don't want to break either. So so you just you, you stop you the work stay. at rigid. You yeah. stay where you are, yeah. yeah. And, and that too is the worst place you can be. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be stuck yeah mid-transformation right and that's something i think as as quote-unquote spiritual people we have to understand in our dealings with one another is that you're kind of always seeing somebody in the middle of their process mm-hmm. you don't you know there's no perfected being it's just not it's not going to happen it, it's not supposed to happen right yeah it's like a caterpillar stopping in the cocoon right uh you're just goo you're not worth anything (laughs) you hear that (laughs) keep going i hope that's the fire that you need to be lit under your ass to keep going 
it's it's true all right so now for that final question mm -hmm. three books movies um artists mm -hmm. whatever it is any kind of media that you would either recommend to people who are interested in anything we talked about or just in general yeah um first and foremost anyone who is this isn't a cult by any nature but anyone who's interested in jewelry the uh the bible of jewelry making the first book that i i got for jewelry making the complete metalsmith by tim mccrate uh it covers everything that you could possibly need to know and and if you're interested in making jewelry utilize youtube utilize mm -hmm. uh there are lots of community colleges out there with classes and that sort of thing um because it is a very transformative process and if you're someone who likes to work with their hands yes absolutely go for it i would encourage anyone because it, it is such a uh really lets you get yourself out like that creative fire mm. it, it's wonderful. Yeah, we've all got it. Yeah. We are, no matter what you think about yourself, there's <clears throat> there's a creative side to you. And there is nothing that feels better than just hammering the shit out of a piece of metal. I mean, truly. I believe you. It feels great. And yeah. then torch it. Ugh, it's just all all of that. What about the quenching? The is that quenching, fun? It's fun. It makes a great noise. <laughs> yes. Oh, it's fabulous. <laughs> it's fabulous. All of it um, feels good mm -hmm. to do. Um, if you're someone who is brand new to occultism, the, one of the first books that I read past secret teachings was, and, and we've talked about this before, it's kind of an interesting, funny book. I, I wouldn't say there's any quote unquote truth there, but the secret history of the world. Um, I love that book. It's wonderful yeah. just to read. It really made me think in a different way and you have to get your brain to that point where it's not so rigid mm -hmm. so reading something that does not make sense to your existing worldview is so important mm -hmm. suspend your belief or disbelief suspend that and just believe in something that's different from what you currently believe in and that's the first step i'm chipping away at that hard shell mm -hmm. you know that's mark booth right the author that sounds right yeah. yeah 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 um that's a great one yeah i also love the mystical kabbalah i've read it probably five times now yeah. and each time there's something different that i take from that it's almost like reading a new book yes, every single time. Absolutely. Every single time. And it's funny because any like serious occultist I've ever spoken to says the same thing about that book. Yeah. It feels like a brand new book each time. Uh, things will hit you differently depending on where you are in your path. Right. The book doesn't you change. You process. do. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, that's Dion Fortune. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just finished reading Women of the Golden Dawn and fabulous book. Right fabulous mary Kay greer yeah wonderful uh biographies um of four leading women of mm -hmm. the early golden dawn days it made me want to put that book down and start studying my grade work yeah i could tell you 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 had you came in with the maud gon quote yeah oh yeah <laughs> most people don't eat, most people never heard of maud gon <laughs> 
uh, came in hot with that one. Yes, uh, wonderful book, and it really gives you an insight into occultism is not you sitting at your desk reading a book. It is you out in the world living your life. Mm -hmm. And to see examples of where these women were with their lives at, at the same time as going through the work. Um, All of them highly, highly, highly influential. Not just in their communities, but like in the world we have now. Yes, absolutely. Um, Annie Horniman, theater. Uh, it, it really busted me out of the thinking of occultism as, you know, sitting up late at night reading and studying and, yeah. and all of those things. That's important too, don't get me wrong. But when you wake up in the morning, you go out and you live your life right. in the world, in the physical Malkuthian world. Yeah. That's where we are. And you have to utilize that just as much as um, any, you know, intellectual this or that. You have to apply it. You can't just learn and learn and learn and learn and never apply it. That's silly. It's, it's kind of a species of hoarding. Right. It's selfish. Right. You have to work on yourself in this world. Live your life. Right. Yeah. So it, it is it is the application of what you learn that's the most important. And that's who people will remember you for. Mm -hmm. They're Absolutely. not gonna remember you for for the books that you've read. Mm -hmm. That doesn't matter. What did you do with that? Right. What did you do with that inspiration that those books gave you or the information? And that's, again, it's, it's part, that's that alchemy, the, the, the union of opposites. Right. You know, that receptive state of like, I really enjoy being in this receptive state and learning, 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 mm -hmm. and knowing, knowing, knowing. Mm -hmm. And then you have to get into that active state. And some, right. some people are, I think I really like this, uh, some people are all, action and no theory and some people are all theory and no action right so be both walker between the worlds right yeah that middle so, path yeah absolutely that's yeah. great i really appreciate you sitting down with me yeah. uh, ori ferris thank you so much thank uh, you. this is a great conversation we covered so much ground i'm not even sure what i'm going to title this episode <laughs> but um i know you'll come up with something yeah right got it i'm a man of action <laughs> <laughs> that's right thank you very much thank you